Good morning, and welcome to our first series on the Advent Conspiracy. Uh, For those of you who don't know what it is, you've got a little flyer that explains it. This is our second year that we've engaged in this. We are joining thousands of churches around the country and actually around the world trying to reshape what this season looks like and bring worship back to the central part of Christmas. What the Advent conspiracy is, is trying to refocus our attention. You know, it's a difficult thing. A lot of times for those who are pastors come Christmas season, well, we know what we're supposed to talk about because, you know, it's Christmas, the birth of Jesus, but we've got a culture that is celebrating consumerism and spending. And this message sometimes just gets lost in the commotion. And what if we can make a new commotion? What if we could start something new that actually allowed the people who are outside to be able to participate with what we are doing? And that's what the conspiracy is about, is what if we spent one less, bought one less gift, spent that money instead of on that gift card and use that money to be generous to those who are in need. And so we as a community are taking this season and making it an opportunity for us to be generous towards those who are in need. This morning in the back, we have creatively done, thank you, Joanne, uh, the opportunity to help Healthy Start that is with the Upland Unified School District to give those kids who are in need, who don't have the stability that maybe our homes do, a good Christmas. And so there were 50 names, and now there's 30, so 20 of those names are gone. Fret not, do not push, do not shove to go and get a name. This isn't Black Friday, Sunday. If we run out of names, we can get more. And there are other areas where we can involve ourselves with giving as well that we are going to present to us as a community. As I mentioned last time, we raised probably close to $10,000 that we gave to uh, our community through Healthy Start, to Haiti, through uh, Mexico. And so we as a community in one month raised this money that said, I want to do something different this season. I want to show generosity and give instead of just it being about receiving. And, and so that what, that's what this is about. Plus, it's the opportunity to refocus our thoughts on what an incredible event this is that we celebrate to, once again, allow this to be the root of our celebration in this season and to kind of take back Christmas and make it something that is indeed worshipful. I read an article, one of my friends who's a pastor, he wrote an article and in it he listed the six, uh, what was it he called it, the six lies um, that the church believes, something like that. And I thought most of them were really good, at least five of the six I was all on board with. Like the first one was you go to church and he says, no, you don't go to church, you are the church. And I was like, yeah. 
saying that for years. Where have you been, buddy? No, I, I just, you know, I, amen, that's exactly right. But one of them I disagreed with wholeheartedly, and that was that the church is not here for mission or to reach the lost. And oh, I like that response. Oh, if we are the church, then the Great Commission is ours to go and make disciples of all nations. You know, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his first epistle, five times he mentions in that epistle when the unbeliever is in your midst. Why would he mention that so prevalently? Because it was a commonplace. And throughout the gospel, we see Jesus going to save that which was lost. In the book of Acts, we see that that is constantly the direction of those going and reaching those, whether it was those in Jerusalem and it ended up being the rest of the known world, the Gentiles. And so I think it's not just that. It is definitely to build up, to edify, to strengthen, which was his point. But it is so much more. It is so much more. And this is our opportunity to engage in that more and to allow others to participate. If you tell people what you are doing, how you're helping the kids in the school district who don't have the ability to have gifts because maybe they're homeless or transitional homing, home, living in a transitional home, and you invite them to participate in something like that, you'd be surprised how many people would like to be a part of those things or that we are going to build a latrine in Haiti or build a kitchen in Haiti for a school, how many people would love to participate in something? And maybe you can take this little flyer and hand it to one of your friends and just say, hey, this is what we're doing this season. Invite you to, to be a part of this work that we're doing. And so what we're going to do throughout this series is focus on the person of Jesus, of course, that's who it's about. But we're going to talk about the incarnation. This is one of the root doctrines of the church, that God became man. And what do we do with that truth? How does it affect us? How do we receive it? Now, I know a lot of us here can look back at a time when maybe we said a prayer and we asked Jesus to come into our life. But when we're asking Christ to come into our lives, we are asking more than just this man. We are asking all that this man is, which includes his deity. What does it mean to invite him in all that he is, into our lives. What should that look like? And so if you have your Bibles, open it to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And if you need a copy of the scriptures, raise your hand. Alex will run one down to you. And by the way, the high schoolers, you're supposed to stay here because Michael's not here today. Okay, he's in bed sleeping still. I'm teasing, but give him a hard time anyway. Uh, John chapter 1. 
John, unlike the other Gospels, in his account of Christ, focuses on this core belief, on the incarnation. And let's start at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has, no, has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Father, as we look at your words this morning, may they inspire our hearts and our lives. Father, may we be overwhelmed with the truth that you reveal to us here. May you help that poor little baby. Thank you again for this time here, Lord, and we are grateful for your mercy. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. See, prayer works. (laughs) What an interesting way to start out this gospel. In the beginning... It immediately draws us back to Genesis because it's meant to, where we hear, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But here what John does is says, in the beginning, he's connecting us to the eternal, to the infinite. He's connecting us to the divine. But in the beginning, he says, was the word, logos. And what an interesting term to use. The word. Why, why would he say that? Again, the word is an expression. And once again, the Hebrew mind would go back to Genesis and, and think of all that was entailed when God said, let there be light and there was light. When God spoke the world into existence, this is the beginning of creation. And so in the beginning was this expression of God. And John is purposefully taking to that place where we connect to the divine. But then he he tells us something that's a little curious. The word was with God. And that has the idea of in relationship to God. Now there is a distinction. The word was in relationship to God, but so that we don't go too far, immediately he says, and the word was God. 
And so he talks about this in relationship with God, but then he clarifies and makes sure that we understand. <laughs> wow, Michael just texted me. Uh, he said, ouch, that was a low blow. <laughs> wow. I respect him so much more now that I know he's omnipotent <laughs> or omniscient. Yeah. And so the word was with God in relationship to God, but not to be misunderstood, the word was indeed God. And here is where we start having this understanding of the uniqueness of Jesus. That he, in his nature, is God, but he also, in his nature, is in relationship with God, and as we're going to see, is man. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things that were made... Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And so he tells us that he is the source of creation. Which is what Paul also tells us later on in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. He says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. That he is the source. And again, when you hear the firstborn of all creation, once again, the Hebrew mind knows what firstborn means. It means the one who is chosen. It means preeminent, the one who is destined for this. And so we see the person of Jesus is also the author of creation. He's with God, but he is God. All things were created by him, through him, for him. And then John goes on and he says a curious thing. Because he says, in him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The implications of what John is talking about here can't be overstated. It is at the core of our belief that God became man that this man is now the source of our life. He is the light of this world. He is our salvation. And for centuries, the, the church has held on to this belief. And they've never tried to water it down or make it palatable or try and make it something that would be easier to understand. In fact, all our creeds have in it this truth. And so it's just been proclaimed throughout the centuries. Unapologetically, just this is what we believe because it is so important. And so many times we have tried to give understanding and some great things have been said to help us grasp hold and understand what is actually happening. God and man. 
being manifested in the person of Jesus. He wasn't just like God. He wasn't half God, some kind of half breed. He wasn't morphed into a man. God just kind of morphed. He was in nature God and also in nature man. Calvin, John Calvin put it this way. You have two eyes and each eye is distinct in what it sees. But together they see the picture more clearly. The person of Jesus, God and man, is a perfect picture of what God is representing to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And that should startle us. That should cause us to pause. That should blow our minds. That should make us wonder. And it will never stop making us wonder. But how do you explain this? What is the result of this? How is it going to be something that we can grasp hold of and partake of just fully understanding? Because it's a mystery. In fact, Paul tells us it's a mystery as he writes to Timothy, beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated or justified by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up, in glory. This is a mystery. This is the person of Jesus Christ. This is who we believe in. This is at the center of our world as a follower of Christ. God became man, made his dwelling among us. And you know what's so interesting is how John explains this. It's almost like he doesn't even use his name have you noticed that the first time i read this and he's saying the word is i'm like okay who's he talking about and we know he's talking about jesus in verse 14 he says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and then throughout the gospel we see the account unfold of jesus but it's almost as if you know if i just say you know jesus was born it's not enough it doesn't bring clarity to what I'm trying to express to you. And this is very similar to what we see in 1 John. So turn with me there to 1 John chapter 1. And John again writes. And he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked on, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. What does he say? The life appeared. And we have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. There he goes. Finally, he unfolds. It's Jesus. 
we write this to make our joy complete. It's almost as if John is trying to get at the point of what this really means. I mean, if you were to describe Jesus to people, if I was writing this, and I was to write people, okay, I want you to know about this man, Jesus, because he fed the 5,000 people with just a, a few loaves of bread and a few fish. He walked on water. I saw him touch the eyes of the blind and restore their sight, heal those that were lame. I saw him raise the dead. But none of those things come to the forefront of what John describes. It's like, that's incidental. All the miracles and all these things, it's almost like I want you to get behind just the man. I want you to see that in him was life. And so in the gospel, as well as here, it says, concerning the word of life. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. All the miracles and all the things about Jesus are incidental apart from in him was life. How do you describe color to a person who's blind? Or music to someone who who can't hear? How do you describe life to those who think they're alive but are only existing. You see, what John is trying to get us to understand is that this life that Jesus had is the life that we need. It is the light of all men. This life is what illuminates our lives. But it's so hard to convince those who think they're alive that they're not. How do you go about that? I remember years ago I was a painter, and I was painting this man's house. And we were inside his house painting, and he was a white guy from Poland. I remember because I, I remember the guy distinctly because he accidentally shot himself with a 357 Magnum, and I thought that was interesting. <laughs> and as we were talking to him, I was working with my brother and another friend of ours named Dave, and we were deciding what we were going to do for lunch and we decided we wanted Mexican food. And we were in La Puente. We knew there's Mexican food around. We knew of one place, but we were wondering if there was someplace else because there's nothing like good Mexican food. You know what I mean? (laughs) And when you have good food that is your reference... Like El Tepeyac, right? In East LA, anyone? Can I get a witness? 
you know, you, you've got this good food and, oh man, the machaca is so good. Or the steak picado. I, I get an accent when I start ordering food in Spanish. It's just so good. I remember taking one of my sales managers to El Tepeyac one time, and every time you go there, there's a line, right? It's a small place, but there's a line outside, and we go and we sit at the bar there, and Manuel is there, the owner there, and he, he's never made this place uh, into a chain, although he's been offered. And he sat there with us, and he goes, hey, you guys want a shot of tequila? And he put a shot glass out and a bottle of tequila, and I'm like, oh, wow, you know, that's okay, I'm working right now. And then he went on to tell us a story about how alcohol almost destroyed his life, and so he gave up drinking while he's offering us tequila. I don't know. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. How do I take this? Um, but the food is just so good. And so when you have this reference in your mind of, of what good Mexican food is, it's just, it, some of you are hungry right now. And so we're there and we're talking about, yeah, where should we, wonder where there's a good place to go get food. And this gentleman who owned the house, who shot himself by accident, says, I know where there's a great place. Well, really? He goes, oh man, the best place. It's just down the street. It's a small place have the best Mexican food. We're thinking he's local. He knows the place. Great. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. What's it called? And he goes, it's called Taco Bell. <laughs> True story. Did the bullet nick your brain? Or... And you see, his reference of Mexican food was Taco Bell. It just, it's not the same. And some people are living in the illusion of existence and think it's life. And it's not the same. It's not the same. And John is trying to describe color to those who are blind. He is trying to describe music to those who think they know what music is but are deaf. He is describing life to those who think that they are alive but are actually still dead. And so he does it in this descriptive language because it's so important that we understand who this man is. He is the expression of God. He's always been with God. He is God. He's the creator of all that you know. He is life. And this life is the light of all mankind. This light shines in the darkness but the darkness could not comprehend it. It does not understand it. He came into his own, his own people, but they didn't receive him. But to whoever will receive him, to them he gives the authority to become the children of God.
this life that is God manifesting, showing himself up here is now the one who is able to make us alive and the children of God. You see, Jesus having in his nature all of God, in him dwells the fullness of God in a bodily form, Colossians 2.9 tells us. Hebrews tells us he is the image of the invisible God. He is the hand stamp of what God is in human flesh. And though he exists as God, he does not act as God, but as a man, he submits himself perfectly, completely, to the will of God. And because of his surrender to God, it is a beautiful and ultimate example of what worship is. And because of this life of what worship is to the point where he goes to a cross and dies on our behalf because he is now able to die for us because of who he is, it enables us to be where he is, to be children of God. He is able to translate us into the life of his dear son. I think so many times we get this idea of life being, you know, kind of, connected in time, sequential. You, you're alive, and then you die, and then you go on to eternal life. But that's not how Jesus explains it. He, he explains that there is life, and then there's death. And so Jesus' words in John 10.10 becomes so much more clear. The thief comes to still kill and destroy, but I come that you might have life and have it in abundance. You see, we focus on the abundance, or in 1 John, we focus on the eternal, but what Jesus is focusing on is the life. Because it's about connecting to God and it's about connecting to life. And so what the Advent season does is it allows us the opportunity to pause, to take a breath and recognize that life has come. And to whoever will receive him, to them he gives the right, the authority to be the children of God, even those who believe on his name. And that's what we celebrate. That's who we celebrate in this Advent season, is the person of Jesus. And this is who he is to us. You see... What is able to change everything is when God changes us. 
what enables our lives to be made whole, complete, to actually be alive is when life takes hold of us. There have been so many things throughout my life as a follower of Christ that have knocked me down. There have been difficulties that I've endured. There has been loss. There has been heartache. There's been betrayal. There's been so many things that have just been difficult. I have so many questions. I have so many struggles in my mind with the things that have happened and when I see some of the evils that do happen in the world and I just wonder, God, why is this? But these things don't cause me to question my faith. These, these things aren't there and it's like, I don't know if I, I can still believe this or not. I don't know if I should believe. You see... I remember being dead. I remember being without hope. And I remember when I came to life. And so life has taken hold of me and I can't deny what's happened. I can't fully explain it and I can't fully understand all the bad that happens to people, to me, to you, to the the innocent in the world. I, I can't explain those things. And it hurts. And there are things that just make us weep. But this I do know. That life has taken hold of me. And I know what it was like before it did. I can't deny what's happened. And so there, there is nowhere else I can go. You alone have the words of eternal life. Again, we focus on eternal, but Jesus, you alone have the words of life. You alone give what is necessary for my soul, what brings sustenance to who I am as a human being. You alone Give life. And there's no comparison. There's no comparison. And, and so in the weeks to come, we are going to talk about how Jesus has shown up. How he showed up as a man, leaving us an example. His divinity as God, how it was not something he used, but it was something he surrendered to. Again, giving us an example. Talking about how he lived as that example for us. This season, we are going to focus on the person who is life. And I know some of you here maybe have come because someone invited you. Maybe you, you've come to church for the first time. And maybe you've never made this kind of a commitment to 
Jesus and this talk of life, it's intriguing you and, and you would like to step into this. What do you have to do? To as many as received him, believe in his name, to them he gave the right to be the children of God. What it takes is your faith in the person of Jesus. That's all it takes. You don't have to join the church. You don't have to give money. You don't have to say a certain prayer. You just take your step of faith and put it in the person of Christ. And so that's all that's necessary. Now, I would love to talk with you and pray with you. And so if you would like to make that kind of a commitment, come and talk to me. But there's also some of us here who have grown up in the church. And we are living, but we are living lives that are in desperation. We are living lives that are filled with depression. We are living lives that are hopeless. We are living lives that just wonder, how can we get through? And, and I want to appeal to you that you need to reach for something more. You, you don't need to just go to church. You need to reach for life. You need to be desperate for this man, Jesus Christ, and all that he has to give you. If you are not alive, then you need to cry out for life. You see, the problem is we settle for so much less so easily. And that's true of the people outside of uh, the faith in Christ, as well as it is those who are in faith. Those outside, you know, settle for so many things. There's a, a quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea, we are far too easily pleased. And I think the same is true with us. We are far too easily pleased with less than the abundance of life that comes in the person of Christ. And don't settle for the illusion of religion. Strive for the life in Jesus. Oh, it doesn't take away the heartache doesn't take away the difficulty. You still have to go to work tomorrow or deal with these situations and struggles. But can you respond even as John is? Is Jesus this to you? Is this who he is? Is he the light of of all mankind. Would you describe him as John did? That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. 
we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship, oneness, koinonia, with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ, who is our life. Is that your expression of faith or is it less? If it's less, let's reach for more and not settle for illusion of less. Let's pray. Father, how can we fully grasp the truth that you have manifested yourself in the person of Jesus? Lord, it is so overwhelming, and yet a five-year-old can comprehend it. Lord, it is so vast, and yet a child can come in faith to you with recognition. You've made it simplistic in its complexity. And so we are here acknowledging this event that changes everything if it will change us. And so over the next weeks, may the realization of who you are, Jesus, shape who we are. May your example be our model. May we follow in your steps and may we not settle for anything less than the life that you give, a life that's in abundance. May your heart beat in ours. Have your way as we worship you and submit ourselves to the truth of who you are May it change everything about who we are. We ask this in Jesus' name.